Welcome to Talks at Stellenbosch Uni, Stellenbosch University's podcast where we talk about current topics and innovative research done at the university. Today I am in conversation with Professor Wolfgang Kreiser, who is the head of the Medical Virology Division at the National Health Laboratory Service at Tigerberg Hospital and Stellenbosch University. Prof. Preiser's scientific interests include laboratory diagnosis of viral infections, opportunistic infections, and emerging viral diseases. Prof. Preiser and his team of experts have closely been studying the COVID-19 pandemic and have published a number of papers on the subject. Most recently, he was part of a team of South African researchers who identified C.1.2, a new lineage of SARS-CoV-2, the virus causing COVID-19. Welcome, Professor. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, hope you're fine too. I'm fine, thanks, Prof, and it's a pleasure to uh, chat with you today. Professor, last year when the world went into lockdown, many thought that it would be something that would only last a few weeks, and after that we're back to living our normal lives. Um, but I think it's about 18 months now, and this did not pan out this way. Um, COVID has been with us for quite some time, and we are currently living in a period that has been referred to as the new normal. What exactly went through your head when you first heard about a new coronavirus causing human disease in one? Well, I, I have to say that one of my research interests is looking for potentially zoonotic new viruses in different types of animals. And we found quite a few interesting ones. Um, and, and of course, the whole idea is that it is from such uh, uh, sources that uh, new viruses that can infect human beings uh, would come from and that they could then, some of them at least, uh, go on to spread amongst humanity uh, causing a pandemic. So it's it's always been one of my research interests and still I have to admit uh, that when it happened, it, it quite uh, caught me uh, caught me out. It's it, you know one 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 knows it from theory and and the the, the scientific background, but the practicalities. Um, I think you know we all were faced with with a totally new and unprecedented situation. Of course, we get a lot of um, notifications about uh, new or unknown diseases in in humans in different parts of the world and. We don't jump up uh, every time and think this is the beginning of the end. Um, so I, I followed the news very closely, uh, but of course the information provided was very limited, um, very sketchy, um, and I, I, I just sat by and, and just thought, well, let, let us find out more. And of course that is uh, part of, of the initial troubles of this pandemic, um, even though it all went actually with the speed of light, if you compare this to how we found out about HIV in the early 1980s, it, this time it all happened within a few weeks, but still precious time was lost by, um, I think mostly Chinese authorities not being as open as they should have been. Uh, and well, we, we all know the consequences, this virus was able to spread across the world, causing a pandemic and 18 months into it, we have a lot of tools to deal with it. Um, but sadly, we're also up against um, fatigue, denialism, um, all sorts of conspiracy theories um, that's hampering our fight. 
Professor Fraser, with regards to COVID-19, um, what work um, has your laboratory been doing? We have both a diagnostic lab, which is part of the NHLS, and a research uh, lab, which is part of uh, Stellenbosch University. In terms of research, um, fantastic times, of course, extremely demanding times, but as, as many others, we, we were actually well, well prepared from our decades long work on HIV and other uh, viruses. Uh, and, and all of what we can do and, and had learned previously, we put to use uh, for, for COVID-19 and, and SARS-CoV-2. And that is uh, one of the reasons why we became part of this uh, nationwide network of sequencing laboratories and were thus involved in the discovery of first the beta variant, uh, then monitoring the arrival and takeover by the Delta variant, which is the one that's currently with us, and of course, also looking for any new variants that may be out there. And this is how we recently came across this C1, uh, C.1.2 virus. The diagnostic lab is, of course, a different story because uh, we, we primarily have to, to provide reliable and speedy diagnosis for um, thousands of patients. Um, and, and I have to say, I'm very proud of my team because we, we rose to the occasion we scaled up and, and imagine, I mean, this is a new virus. So basically all the tests are new. It's not something that we had been doing previously and just had to do more of. It's something which we had to introduce um, and then scale up from zero to a hundred in the, in a matter of a few weeks. I'm very proud of my team. And I have to say that uh, uh, on the national basis, the NHLS that's responsible for the routine diagnostic lab testing for all patients in the public sector actually overall did a very good job in scaling up, hiring additional people. And, and these are, of course, uh, highly skilled and uh, qualified people. So there are not, not many of them around um, getting the necessary equipment in place, getting the huge amounts of consumables and reagents delivered. Um, and at the same time, of course, everybody else in the world was trying the same. So we ran into serious supply problems. Um, we had to do without certain things. We had to be very inventive uh, to try and find workarounds if, when, whenever bottlenecks arose and, and we ran out of certain materials. And not, it didn't always work out perfectly, of course. There have been times when our lab was a lot slower than one would want. Um, but overall, I think we we did quite well, and and by now we are in a comfortable situation that we can test the samples that we receive in a you know very good turnaround time, as we call it. So the time to result is not not long. They are still meaningful, and the quality of the testing is also excellent. So it was extremely uh, demanding times, uh, and it really put many. Uh, things and structures, but also people do the test. And I can very proudly declare that I think we passed that test and it was amazing to see um, the, um, you know, just humanity rising uh, in, in response to an acute need. And, and, and some people were absolutely heroic and still are. It was also amazing uh, to see so many volunteers from other areas of the university and beyond who during that initial lockdown when, you know, you couldn't actually pursue your studies, mm -hmm. they said, well, 
I know how to do this type of test. I mean, not the specific test for the new coronavirus, but I know how to do PCRs. I know, know how to do this. Can't I help you out in the lab? It was absolutely amazing how many volunteers came forward and helped. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, Prof, we're at the point now where a number of vaccines um, against COVID-19 has been developed. What was your expectation regarding the de- development of vaccines against this virus? I did know that uh, they wouldn't have to start from scratch. Um, of course, there have been more than 20 years of efforts to develop vaccines against HIV, against a number of other pathogens, including some of the other coronaviruses that had emerged and caused outbreaks in the past. So I knew that you know people had been working on it and obviously a lot of expertise uh, had been built and, and data had been obtained. And yet I was very pleasantly surprised that uh, in, in less than a year, in, in actually eight months or so, um, that already the first vaccines had been not only developed, but had been tested in these different clinical trials uh, to a point where they could be approved by the regulators. Um, and that is a process that would usually take many years. I also did foresee that even if that happened, and I did not expect that many different vaccines to make it past that point, and of course others fell by the wayside, which is a good sign. It basically means the standards were upheld. No compromises here in terms of safety and and efficacy of the vaccines. Only the best will be approved. And then I realized that from there to then making enough of it, is another enormously big step to take. And this is where we are now, but I I also see that we are getting past that. There is more and more production capacity coming online and therefore vaccine supply is much less of a worry now than it was, let's say, six months ago. Recently in the media, Professor, there's been a lot of um, talks and I think some research papers um, regarding breakthrough cases. Are the vaccines of any use, given that one one is hearing about these cases? Mm. It's it's an endless cause for all sorts of of uh, people, ranging from from nuts to um, uh, people who try and make money selling other unlicensed and and uh, useless products for good money, and uh, or just scaremongering. Um, it's actually something absolutely normal. It happens with all vaccines. It just is so that it receives very little publicity with most vaccines. Um, what we want to protect against is severe disease, um, the need for admission to intensive care and the risk of death. And that is something that the vaccines that are licensed currently and, and are being used do very well. So once you've been vaccinated fully and you've given your immune system another two weeks or so uh, to mount a full immune response, the chances that you will come to serious harm or will die from COVID are extremely limited. They they do occur still, of course they will. There are people whose immune systems, because they may have some underlying illness, for example, or because they are very old. So in some cases, the immune system will not mount an effective response and immunity will never be great. Again, totally normal, never expected anything else. But for the vast majority of people, being completely vaccinated plus two weeks gives very good protection against severe disease and death. What it does not protect against so well is infection as such. And this is the reason why we do recommend still 
for people to wear masks, uh, pre, uh, you know, obey uh, uh, the social distancing and, you know, all the other measures that we've learned over the past 18 months. The vaccine is not basically uh, free for all. It doesn't mean you can go back to normal as yet, uh, as so many people are still not vaccinated and there's still such a high chance of encountering uh, the virus when out there and engaging with others. So it may be a, a bit of a disappointment that the vaccination doesn't allow us to go back to normal as yet. But of course, the more people are vaccinated, the lesser this risk. Uh, the more people will then have at least partial protection from infection and from infecting others. And I foresee a point in time that uh, and it probably requires 80% or more of the general population being vaccinated when we can just say we stop worrying about it because we know that we won't fall ill severely. There isn't a lot of the virus around anymore, but it is still there. And if we get it, we will have a common code like illness, but it won't kill us. Um, and this is exactly where we, we want to get. Um, so anything about uh, breakthroughs, very important uh, observations. And of course, these cases need to be investigated. And of course, um, there may be ways of improving further, just mentioning booster doses, for example, and so on. Uh, and that will all happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, in time we will learn more, understand, understand better and come up with even better strategies. But for the time being, it's very clear that get the vaccine, get it now, don't don't delay, get it now. Um, and, you know, be rest assured that uh, COVID has lost much of its threat uh, for you personally. Um, Prat, this is something you mentioned earlier on in the interview today, but maybe um, we can just go back and you can unpack it for us. As you're aware in the media and social media, etc., um, there are a lot of doubts about the vaccine. Um, many people are saying it's been rushed and that it causes a lot of side effects. Are the vaccines safe? And what would you say to people who are concerned about getting vaccinated? As I mentioned previously, um, the vaccines are not, is not something that they only started coming up with in, in January or February last year. Um, this builds on many years, in some cases decades, of working on such vaccines. Um, so there's a lot of information that's been gathered on their safety, including in, in human beings. And that is the reason why it could be rushed you know, why the, why the development and testing could happen so quickly. The other important reason is that it was exceptionally well-funded. So governments like United States and European countries just pumped in billions into the development of such vaccines, taking out the risk for the manufacturers. So they could just press ahead with these clinical trials, recruit many people at the same time, uh, move ahead very quickly in some cases, there was sort of overlapping clinical trial phases um, because they didn't have to make a decision, you know, does this look good enough after our phase one clinical trial um, that we have a good chance of this ever making it into clinical use and us recouping the money. And that is the type of consideration that they would normally undergo. And that, of course, means the end for many uh, vaccine candidates. It's 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 really very much an uh, an, an issue of, of of finances and and making it payback. Here 
They have been funded up front. It was clear they can just move ahead. They have the money to spend. And uh, many or several of them made it very well. Some didn't, as expected. Um, but still, all the clinical, uh, the phases of clinical trials, and of course, everything before, including animal studies and so on, had been done previously. The other reason why it happened so quickly is that the regulators didn't say, you can submit, but only once the whole thing is done. And, and just to illustrate what we're talking about, this is like uh, several containers full of documents. You can just imagine how long it will take for experts to go through and check everything is in order. What they did in this case, because of the need to expedite the process, is they looked at different things while the rest of the trials and studies were still ongoing. And that really shortened, and of course, they put in a lot of effort um, in, in terms of making manpower available um, to, 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 you know, for, for, for the uh, checking of these dossiers and, 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 and uh, assessing their validity and so on. And it wasn't like a plain sailing. There were, of course, there were gaps, there were issues. Um, they went back and said, but listen, this is not something we can accept. You'll have to do this again and you have this to do that one better. So that all still happened, but it just happened much more quickly than it would normally happen. And that means uh, that the vaccines were approved in, in most cases conditionally, i.e. not finally, but conditionally approved early on. And then uh, they could start giving it to real people in real life situations. And one has to realize that even if you enroll many thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people in these phase three clinical trials, there are exceptionally rare side effects that affect one in a hundred thousand or one in half a million people who receive a vaccine or any other product. Those you will only detect once it's being used in the human population at large. But because of sheer probability, you know, it's too rare to be seen in a relatively small, but in fact, large cohort of, let's say, 5,000 people. It's just statistically very unlikely to occur because, you know, you would have to have hundreds, a hundred of these cohorts to see this one. So exceptionally rare um, side effects, some of them severe, in rare cases also uh, fatal. Uh, they, these happen and they are uh, captured by post-marketing surveillance. And in fact, we've seen a few of those. We've seen the clotting issue with the viral vector vaccines, including our J&J. &J. We've now recently seen the myocarditis issue, uh, very rarely happening, uh, mostly in younger male recipients of the, um, the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, and mRNA vaccines. Uh, these things are, are exceptionally rare, but they were detected. And that tells me that the system is working. They were looking out for it. They were reported and they were investigated. There were, of course, a lot more issues in recipients of the vaccines that were reported and were investigated, but found not to be related. Just imagine you start vaccinating the elderly, people in old age care homes. They are chronically ill. They have a number of other conditions and issues. And the chance if you vaccinate 10,000 of them, the chance that anyone, you know, that, that some of them would die of this group of, of 10,000 in the subsequent few weeks is extremely high because that would happen regardless of vaccine or not. 
So one has to look at individual cases to see whether something specific occurs about them. Just saying that so and so many people died after receiving the vaccine is totally meaningless. And the people who uh, say these things are either fools uh, that don't understand and didn't care to read properly or are not able to understand it, or they do it maliciously to spread false rumors. For me, these reports and accounts and that all of this is publicly available is a strength. It shows the system is working. Of course, the vaccines do very rarely have significant side effects. Um, there are very small numbers of people who should not receive the one or other because in them, because of some underlying condition, the risk of these side effects is elevated. That is well known. And they should then get the other vaccine. And others um, uh, have been informed or are being informed when they get the vaccine, what to look out for, when to report back if there is a problem, more than just a fleeting one or two day period of feeling uh, flu-like symptoms, a bit off, a bit tired, a headache and so on, which is perfectly normal and perfectly harmless. But if it's more than that, uh, the vaccinees are being informed, given numbers to call or websites where to report and such events are then followed up. And, and in fact, um, treatment and diagnostic guidelines uh, for these rare complications of the vaccines have already been developed. So even though they are very rare, the risk of coming to harm are reduced even further because now people know how to treat it and uh, how to diagnose it and how to treat it. So uh, the, the fast development of the vaccines was not at the expense of safety. And of course, those who are sitting on the fence line now and, and are letting others go ahead, um, yes, one can say, and you know, don't misunderstand that, please. Um, you know, we happily were your guinea pigs, uh, me along with the other billion people worldwide who have been vaccinated already. Um, we did that because we believe in it. We believe that it is safe and that it is helpful. Um, and by now, you know, anything that would be out there, you know, we know about. We, we have gained a lot of insight. So I really don't know what to wait for any longer. What we do know, however, is that if somebody chooses not to be vaccinated, they will become infected sooner or later. We've seen this in every subsequent wave. Uh, the third wave actually uh, hit people and killed people, many of them, uh, who many of whom could have been vaccinated since the beginning of the rollout, but sadly chose not to or delayed it or simply didn't care. Um, let's not repeat that mistake for the fourth wave. It is largely avoidable. Um, the adult population of South Africa can be vaccinated. There is sufficient vaccine around right now. So if you haven't been yet, go for it, because this is your best chance of staying healthy uh, and avoiding becoming a victim of the fourth wave. Thank you so much, um, Professor, for that insight into vaccines and COVID-19. And for those who are listening today, I think the message to take home from Prof. Fraser, um, there's no need to wait, go ahead and choose vaccination. Thank you so much, Prof. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Follow all the latest Stellenbosch University news at www.sun.ac.za or follow us on all the largest social media platforms.